Mm-mm. And my wife fact-checked me. She was like, Donovan, stop saying stuff like that unless you're going to do it, okay? There you go. So that's what I'm sipping now because while I'm not going to make any promises that I'll finish the two bottles before I'm done, hydration all the same is important, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to do that. Uh, I'll drink some physical water as we drink of the living water. Ha! Okay, I'm sorry. Had to. It was there. Low-hanging fruit. So we're in week two and the final week of a series that uh, I called The Promised Life. And just by way of review, the reason why we called this series The Promised Life was because of the fact that I equated the experience the Israelites had, the opportunity they had, the mistakes they made in the promised land to what we have and what we can enjoy right now. That the Israelites went into this land that was promised to their ancestors hundreds of years prior. I'm talking about like Abraham was told, you'll inherit this land. God was pointing out Canaan and saying, see, everything's really nice. Your ancestors will have it. They will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They're all going to flow from you. Kings and kingdoms will come from you. And you're going to be in this land, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. And so that was promised 400-plus years prior to them being able to cross over seas and rivers and have to fight giants. And all the same... Despite the fact that this promise was told to them for generations, it was sung in their songs, it was taught during their time of teaching, it's what they would have muttered while making bricks in Egypt, right? They still saw some really tall dudes, and all of a sudden they had an opportunity to remember or to forget. And so it had me thinking, if we are now living in what Jesus, not me, but what Jesus calls eternal life, and that he says this is eternal life, that you would know the Father and Jesus, the one he has sent. So meaning I can be in eternal life right now. Then I thought, okay, let's play on that. Let's play on that. That he's saying I can enjoy the the eternal life now. So let's play on that. If I'm in this eternal life, what does that look like? What are the opportunities I have? And what are the potential mistakes I can make if I'm not careful, right? Now, remember, when we first were going to do this, when I first wrote my outline, and before I got to spar a little bit with Alan, and I'm using spar on purpose because it's going to come up today, initially we were going to talk about the idols, and it was all going to be about removing the idols. And I'm not saying that that will never be a lesson that will unpack. It may be something better for a Bible study. It may be something better for a time when we're not trying to finish by 1120 to 1130. But all the same, we were going to talk about all of the negative, and yet there was so much positive in that story, that passage in Numbers chapter 13. They got to walk around and survey the land, and they got to see how amazing the land was and how God, when he makes a promise, he means it, right? He talked about a land flowing with milk and honey, and while they brought back some of them a bad report, they also brought back grapes like the size of some of your kids, right? And I don't know about you, but I like grapes, And I'm going to believe that they were seedless because I don't feel like digging around having to figure it out, right? So there's a lot of great stuff about this land. But unfortunately, they missed an opportunity to see what God offered them as good, which might speak to the fact that maybe they didn't always see him as good. Because if we stop believing in the promises, 
it might be speaking to an issue of us maybe not fully knowing or trusting the promiser or the giver of the promise, which is the bigger issue, right? We can talk about how we need to remove certain things from our situation, from our land or our life, but if we don't trust the one who has given us this life, none of it really matters. And so we won't actually pull it up, but just again, by way of review, in, in Numbers chapter 13, we had a certain amount of people. Do you remember how many that came back with a bad report? Do you remember? Ooh, okay, so we were paying attention. And how many came back with a good one? Two, okay. Now, the, the rate, you said one six. I knew, I knew someone was going to do it. I was going to say the ratio is not that important. And then you're like, one six. I knew it because I'm a math guy. So I wanted to do the same thing. Like, well, this is how the percentage of times you'll get it right. No, no. But here's what we learned. Here's the, here's the thing we could extract from that. All 12 of them saw the same things, correct? They all saw the big grapes, seedless. They all saw the big seedless grapes. They saw the land was lush. It was full of milk and honey, right? They saw the fortified cities. They saw the fact that people groups can thrive there. Let, let, let's focus on that, right? Because if they saw fortified cities with whole kingdoms in them, then that means the land could support multiple kingdoms, right? We talk about all the enemies that the people of God had in the land, but for them to have that many enemies, that means the land could support not just one group of people, but a lot of people. This land was full and bountiful. But 10 of them made a choice. Because we have a choice in the matter. Ten of them made a choice to see things from a certain vantage point, and two made another choice. So in this promised life, I always have a choice. Now, we'll review about how truth makes us free, but understand you're always free to choose truth as well. It's layered, right? Like, it's not just that truth makes me free. Truth, we could argue, makes us freer. But because of the perfect work of the cross, I'm free to choose truth. You see how that works? It's cyclical. I can choose truth at a moment's notice. I might have been choosing falsehoods for years. And then all of a sudden, in a moment of clarity, because of revelation from God, and because I say yes, I can now choose truth, and my whole life can change. Salud. That's Spanish, by the way, for like health and blessings, not just like God bless you, like the you know, casual English, but like that's like health be unto you. So, salud. So I can choose truth in a moment's notice. Some of us have been choosing lies for so long. And it, and it can feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much work I have to do. I just had a conversation just last Saturday, oddly enough, after the conversation I had with Alan, and I was talking to one of my frat brothers. I'm a part of a fraternity, Men of God Christian Fraternity Incorporated. And one of my frat brothers had been away from God in his own estimation, not like me judging him. He just said, hey, I've been distant from God. I've been really far away. And when I first met this man, he was one of the most legalistic guys I knew. He had it so together. I don't say legalistic like in a negative way. I just mean like he just really had his stuff in order. He had time for God on his calendar. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. I don't have time earmarked for God on my calendar, right? 
and he would worship in his room, and he was known for teaching scripture to our other brothers, and we've had some heated debates about how we interpret scripture because he really knew that it was important that we get it right. But as of late, for whatever reason, choices he's made, he is further away from God. And he felt like he had to go from where he was in this place of degradation and foolishness and and ungodliness. He felt like he had to go from that to leaping all the way back to potentially where he was before. Right. There was a pressure he had that I have to get back from where I am currently, where I know I'm wrong. I know I'm foul. I know I'm not doing things right. I have to get all the way back to the promised life in one fell swoop. And he felt a pressure to do it all on his own. And if any of you in this room feels that, I need you to understand you don't do this work on your own. There's going to be some things that I'm going to give you at the end, seven things, actually. And these seven things are not an exhaustive list, but you must understand that those seven things, all of them, for them, the work God has to play a part. Like, you can't do any of the seven things well without God. And so in that moment, and again, this is still a review, in that moment, what I said to him was this. I said, hey, we don't need you to erode all of the dark, dirty things that you've erupted, all, all the walls that you've built up. We don't need you to tear them all down in one fell swoop like this right now, and tomorrow you're, you're healed, and you're fixed, and you're perfect all by yourself, because that's not going to happen. But can we believe in one truth? Can we take one thing we know about God, we are rock solid in, and can we use that for the next thing? Because we're going to build. And so we're going to take something we know, like God loves me, which seems simple, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Seems really simple, but that may be all we have to work with in the moment. So we use it. We take what he has revealed to us that we know is true, that we're not wavering in, and we use that as a tool to excavate the next truth while knowing ultimately he has to reveal it anyway. For us to be able to find that next ore of truth, he has to make it present. He has to make it available to us. But we need to dig. There's an action that we need to have. We're co-laboring with him to understand him. He is revealing and I'm exploring. He's revealing and I'm examining. See, the mark of the promised life is not settling. The Israelites settled, right? What I wanted to focus on the first week was the fact that they settled, but they didn't settle fully, that they allowed certain enemies to stay in their land, that they didn't remove the idols, and as a result, those peoples and their gods became a thorn in their side. And I wanted to give you 45 minutes, a full clip of all of that, and I said, that, that seems pretty heavy and negative. So I'm certainly not going to do that on Mother's Day, right? Because Mother's Day is supposed to be cool, and you guys all got reservations, I'm assuming. So, so we're not going to do 45 minutes of, of condemnation. That's, that's, that's not going to happen. It's not the way of the elders here, right? We like, we like the Mandalorian, and that's not the way, right? It's condemnation. So we're not going to do that. But understand that as I'm excavating, like, I have to be active. Yes, Piper, I have to be active in the process, I don't want to settle as they did. This is where we can learn from them, not judge our ancestors, but learn from them that they settled. They were happy with just a part of the promised land. They were happy with some of it when all of it was theirs. When the people who lived there must be evicted, must be destroyed. 
And I get that that's hard to understand that God, a loving God, would send his people into a land to kill everyone there. But we could talk about that during a Bible study. That might be hard for you to comprehend, but yes, God, our loving God can do that too. And if I trust the fact that he's truth and everything he says is true, then whatever he asks me to do, no matter how difficult, I should do it. And I shouldn't waffle on whether I should do it 100%. I should always do it 100% because we see the result of not doing it 100%. Throughout the experience of the Old Testament, we see the Israelites are taken over multiple times by the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. All the ites, I like the joke. They all took a turn taking over the Israelites. All of them took a turn burning their cities, took a turn taking their crops because they didn't fully, fully move into the land that God promised them. And so this isn't to scare you. It's just a recognition that in the promised life, if we don't fully take the things of God, something else might try to occupy. Rosie, you actually said it just now. Walsa said, there's so many things vying for our attention, so many things, and as Walsa was coming for the next word, you went, so many things demanding our worship, right? So if we're not careful in the promised life, we will have other gods creep up trying to siphon off our worship, trying to siphon off our time, trying to siphon off our resources, and they don't all have horns, and they don't all have red exteriors, exoskeletons. Some of them just look like investing in a small business and us being constantly focused on it. Look, Grizzled Teddy is not an evil thing, but if the first thing I do when I wake up is thinking about a new real idea and I have not spent time with with the God of the universe, we have a problem. My priorities are off. I'm slipping. And I can go back to truth, but I have to be mindful and cognizant of the fact that other people, other things, other entities, other spirits, other institutions, other things that kind of look good and other things that really look bad are all vying for my attention in the promised life. And I want to be careful who and what I give my attention to, making sure that always my heart, my life, my hands, my eyes, my perspective, my agenda, my calendar is fully his, not a portion of his. I want to give him everything. And that doesn't mean that we stop working our jobs. It doesn't mean that we stop having hobbies. But in all things, Proverbs, we talked about that last week as well, says we can acknowledge him in all of our ways. Meaning that some of our ways are going to be churchy and on Sundays, but some of our ways are going to be worky. And they're going to be Monday through Friday or Saturday and Sunday or evenings. And wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we can acknowledge him. You know what it is to be at work and to acknowledge God. Your language is different. You know what it is to be at family gatherings and you acknowledge God. Your language and your response to not getting that first hot dog is different. Your way of responding to to challenges is different. Your way, because my my friend keeps smiling at me, so I'll say it. Your way of responding to your children is different. You know it. You listen, you've taught me. I'm not a parent yet. So I listen to the parents in the room. The way you respond to your children when you're acknowledging God is different. Doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, mothers, fathers. But in all of your ways, you can and should acknowledge him. That is the promised life. And it starts now. Not when the skies crack and Jesus comes through with the chariot of fire. 
and everybody's coming to like, like do the things. Not that. That's not the initiation of the promised life. That's a continuation of it. It starts now. And for those who have believed for a long time and have already been walking with God, yours started even before that. But all the same, if you haven't started, but fully given them everything, that could start right now. Don't care how old you are. Don't care how young you are. Don't care how biblically literate you are. Don't care what you're wearing right now. Don't care if you're in this room or watching online. It starts now. Can you say that with me? It starts now. One more time with, with, with heart. It starts now. This is when the promised life starts. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I think we can do in the promised life so that we might see him more clearly, so that our attention's not split, so we don't get distracted or fall into the snares and traps of the enemy. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and better yet, I'm going to prove it. Have we ever played the game Boggle, right? Or better yet, I think it's, uh, what's the other one? I think it's uh, Scategories, I think. You guys help me out if I'm wrong. It's the one where you get a certain letter, and you have a certain themed card, and you have to write down all the things that you can do to match it, but it has to have a certain letter to start it, right? Is that Scategories? Am I on the right page? Yeah, okay, cool. And you have to write it down, but then anything you guess that someone else guesses, you don't get a point for it, right? Okay, so I want to do that now. I have seven things that I thought might help in the promised life. Now, mine's all have R's. I don't expect you to have all R's for yours, but I'm curious because we might need to come up with a more comprehensive list before I even get started. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. Tell me, what are some of the things we can do? Better yet, what are some of the things you are doing? I like that better. Because I don't want you to tell me something you're not doing. What are some of the things we can do so that we might draw closer to God and we might recognize him as truth? Start shouting them out. What are some of the things we can do? Be thankful. We can respond. Yes. And you should be writing these down. Like, if you don't have a long list in your mind, if you're like, ugh, the name of this game is actually like writing down what everybody comes up with and not saying, I have something that no one else is doing. Because if you have something no one else is doing, that means you weren't sharing. And if you remember last week, I told you as a local body of believers, you have a responsibility to share the things you know about God. That if you're hoarding any of the revelations you have about God, that's a problem. So now that you understand, we got the first two out. If you don't have one of these, go ahead and write it in your notes. It's good for you like vegetables. Thankfulness. Respond. Practice spending time with him. Repent. Yes. Oh, King James-like. Yeah, let's say it again. Mm, studying the scriptures diligently. Surrender. Mm. Say it again. Reservations. That's deep. I never reserve time with him like that. I just kind of do it randomly. I love that you're saying you schedule it out. That's good. Because like some days because of my haphazard way of meeting with him, right? I'm not saying I don't ever meet with him, but because of my haphazard way, there are days where mm, 
might just hit them up before dinner. Thank you, Lord, for the food on my table. Help it to be nourishing. And I try to like, long, elongate the prayer because I don't feel like I've been spending time. So thank you, Lord, for the green beans, God. I pray that they would provide the folic acid necessary, God. Like, it's like you're, you're doing too much. It's theater. But I like that you say you make a reservation for it. You make it a priority the same way you make a priority to sleep. And we don't miss our eating reservation, right? Anybody missing eating reservations? I'm not talking about fasting, but like anybody like not eating? Just because you're like, eh, I don't need to eat today. Probably not doing that. So I love that you're saying, I'm going to make time. I'm going to reserve. What else? I love that. You gave a loaded answer. I love it, though. I want to take every thought captive. But I love that you said this, because this is not to be lost. But I want to give myself grace, or I'm graceful with myself, because there's going to be some thoughts you miss. Your filter, your mesh, might have a hole or two in it. And when we recognize that, we're going to be gracious to ourselves, but I'll add, we should ask the Lord to fix our mesh. Because maybe we're not filtering as many things as we could and capturing, capturing all the thoughts that are not glorifying him, right? So I love that. What else you got? Because some of this is not on my notes. Prayer book. Prayer book. So writing down like prayers that you've, you've prayed before. You writing anything down? You learning anything new? Raise your hand if you got a new strategy from what we just did. Okay. Because I never thought about prayer books. Let me put my hand up. I don't want you to think that the teaching just happens because the person up here is really wise and has a really good beard, in my case. And so they talk and you listen. Like, that's not it. That's not it. You know how much I'm convinced that that's not it? Remember the homework you did this past week? Man, that was good. That was good. Because you all share things that you've laid hold of. Not just things that you quickly read or Google searched and then said, here, this is my contribution. So some people didn't contribute because maybe they don't have as much to work with. But the good thing is, even if you didn't contribute to it, you learned something if you reviewed it. And, not going to put anybody on the spot, but... Did anybody get together maybe and like talk about it over the phone or over coffee? And if you haven't, you still have a chance to do it because guess what? Facebook's good at keeping all the stuff, even the stuff you shouldn't have posted when you were younger. Facebook has a way of keeping a record. So we can see this post months later. It might say, I want to grow in my understanding and my appreciation and my application of the promises of God. So I'm going to go back because Rosie shared something that Danny commented on. Well, I was watching. Right? When you talked about Psalm 37, and you said, Frank and, Frank and I know this, and we got so many stories. Hopefully somebody took them up on one of their stories, but I once was 
There you go. You're like, I'm young, honey. No, see, because you flipped it. You flipped it. I love it. I once was young, and now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed beggeth for bread. Now, I love that one in particular. Not that I didn't love all the ones that were contributed. I love that one in particular because here's the crazy part about it. The person who wrote it probably did see some people going through some stuff. Like, the Old Testament... The New Testament is replete of examples of bad stuff happening to God's people, not just good people, but to God's people. Oftentimes self-induced, self-inflicted wounds, maybe because they weren't living in the promised life as they should. But all the same, he still writes, I've never seen them forsaken. He didn't write, or they didn't write, because I'm assuming it's a man, patriarchal, okay? Might have, could have been somebody else. But all the same, He didn't say nothing's ever gone wrong. What was written was, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. There's so much to mine in that alone. Because things do happen. And again, not to beat this too much, but Wasa talked about her son not being here anymore. But Wasa, have you ever been forsaken by the Most High God? So don't you think that might help you when you get that diagnosis you're not prepared for? Don't you think that might help you when they say they're downsizing at your company? Don't you think that might help you when you get a new supervisor and all he knows is expletives? To know that no matter what my circumstances, God has never forsaken me makes you very dangerous. Makes you very powerful. But I may have not supplied that verse. And so we can learn from each other. So I'm not just asking you to provide me with practical things and running down the clock. I'm saying, hey, you should recognize by the techniques I'm using that everyone in here has something to offer you. So that's one of the traits of the promised life is that I don't just wait for Sunday and the person up here with the uncapped water, hold a minute, I don't just wait for them to do this. I can learn throughout the week. I can learn from young and old. I can learn from people who have seminary degrees and people who have just cracked open the Bible for the first time, but they have an awe and a wonder on their face. They're captivated by it. New believers, right? Still, still wet behind the ears, still got similac on their breath, metaphorically speaking, and yet they look at Scripture in a way sometimes where they cherish it, where they're like, did you know this was in here? And you're like, yeah, I knew. But you need to get back to that. Did you know this treasure was in here? Not, eh. The spiritual ambivalence that we walk around with is not a trait of the promised life. To have a lackluster response to God, that's not the promised life. He didn't die so you can do that. He died so that you might live and live with him and be excited about it. So you best get used to singing now. Walter didn't say it so aggressive, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it that aggressive. You best get used to singing now because he's worthy. And that's all heaven's going to be is an acknowledgement of that worthiness and having a full satiety in him 
and that's your review. And no, there was some new stuff too. Let me stop scaring you. <laughs> I was told to wrap it up. I'm not going to tell you who told me. But somebody said, you better wrap it up, Donovan. Well, I'm going to wrap it. So let's see. What else do we got to unpack? Let's look at our checklist. Okay, so speaking of this whole activeness, right? I want to go to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. I like sports. I used to be kind of an athlete, depending on who you ask. I still play basketball on occasion, even though my knee pops when I do it. And so I like this because this is kind of coming from the perspective of an Olympian, right? Like, like the Olympics were around at this time, or at least the early prerequisite to it. The games were around at this time. And so Paul's using a picture to talk about how active we should be in the promised life. Okay, so I want to just read this with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Now, at that time, that would have been like a reef that they wore on their heads, okay? And, and we know this to be like the decathlon, the Olympus. These, these are like the early games that would happen all around the empire of Rome. And, and so competition was really big, and they understood this. And he said, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. There's so much to unearth there, but I'll just give you a little bit because we got a lot to do in a little bit of time. I want to make sure that I am treating my relationship with God and my pursuit of him. Because remember, what is our theme this year? The divine pursuit. And so I recognize that he is always pursuing me. But I'm always pursuing him right back. Right? In another passage, Paul says, not that I have attained it, but I press on. Right? To the higher calling. I lay hold of the thing that's laid hold of me. So there's this constant, he's going after me and I'm going after him. We're in this dance and I want to get to know him better. That is the result of the dance. Not just that you do holy things and you don't say bad words anymore. We oftentimes reduce the Christian life, the promised life to that. To just not sin. But I'm here to tell you that's like step one. There's so much more that we're expected to do. But yeah, I'll take it to you from an education perspective. I wasn't going to share this, but I think this is really good. How many of you, raise your hand, are familiar with Bloom's Taxonomy? So some educators in the room. Laura, putting you on the spot. Can you name some of the categories in Bloom's Taxonomy? Just some. If you give me one, that counts as some. Yeah, yeah like the, the big words, not the verbs. Not to actually do that, that'd be crazy. Just the categories. Yeah, so give me one. No, not quite. Okay, okay, so we'll stay away. That's Maslow. All right, but you're smart, though, because you knew self-actualization. So you're smart, though. Anybody else who raised your hand, give me one of the categories. Do you remember? 
oh, we're still talking about, okay, we're still talking about needs. We're talking about the hierarchy of needs. Okay, so I'll give it to you. Yeah, okay, so we're talking about needs. So, so Bloom's Taxonomy talks about how we develop educational goals, right, and how we structure lessons. And when we're making lesson plans, right, we're usually using some of the verbs from this. Ben's in the back going, I knew this. No? <laughs> but with Bloom's, there's these categories, right? And so what I learned in my adult education master's was that there was knowledge. I know something, right? I know what to do, what not to do. I know it. Do you know it? I know it. This is, well, don't talk about the shade, but it's green, essentially. Yeah, right? Greenish. I know it's greenish. <laughs> I know it. Right? It is green. You better stop fighting with me. Oh, you're, the lighting's different. It's, I'm, I own it. It's most certainly greenish. <laughs> it's most certainly greenish. I forgot you guys got this going on. YouTube, it's green. Don't listen to Sam. It's green. But there's knowledge. Then there's comprehension. So do I understand it? Because I can know of a thing, but do I understand it? And there's verbs that go with that. Then there's application. Do I apply what I know? Do I actually use it? This is why I said to you earlier, what are some techniques you use in the promised life to get to know God better and to know truth? Because if you just know something and you tell me that, that's not as useful. What are you applying? Then there's analysis. And in analysis, we take something apart, we break it down to its component ingredients, right? We understand what goes in it. Felicia asked me to make pancakes today after church because I make some pretty good pancakes from scratch. But I have to know about the different ingredients in it because when I go to the store, I got to know I'm missing milk. So I'm going to go pick up some milk after church because I know that milk is an essential part of making some really good pancakes. You might be in almond milk or something else, but all the same, we need some leche, right? Then after analysis, after I understand how to break something apart, I need to know how to put it back together. So when I understand the parts, I know about synthesis being next, where I can synthesize or I can create something, not create, I mean, let me change that because it creates a different one. I, I can put together these parts to, to, to reassemble them. I can summarize it. So at the end, maybe in two days, if I ask you, so what did I talk about? Your ability to synthesize will tell me whether or not you caught any of it, right? Okay? And then I can evaluate. And evaluation is when I can tell one thing from another. I can discern. That's a mark of maturity. If I'm in the promised life, I want to be able to discern when God's talking when someone else is trying to act like they're God. Right? Because the demons talk too. The enemy talks too. The world talks too. They don't just stop talking because now you're listening to God. So I need to be able to evaluate truth. Because it says, my sheep hear my voice. So as someone who's in the promised life, I want to understand and study God's voice. Not just his written word, but I want to hear him. I want to know what he sounds like. What are the words he would use towards me? How would he talk towards me? Because there's sometimes when we're thinking that we're hearing him when really we're hearing condemnation and it seems like it's conviction, but it's not. You feel paralyzed after you hear it. That's not the voice of God. God has never paralyzed you, set you in the corner and said, you better not move. That's not how God operates. There's some who do. And I want to be able to evaluate the voice. And they actually added a seventh category, and I saw it this morning, called creation. I want to be able to create something altogether different as a result of all the other things I've worked with. 
Now, this is not to be confused with how God creates, because like we don't necessarily create in that way. But I can create atmospheres. I can create places of safety with the truth that I have. I can go into my work when I come back from vacation in a week, and I can create a space where we're not complaining in my office anymore. Because I've certainly created a space where we do complain. So now that I reflect on the truth, now that I've worked with it, now that I've applied it, now that I've evaluated what is truth and what is falsehood, now that I've synthesized things and put things back together, I could create a whole place. You can create one in your house. Do you have one in your house? Do you have one at church? Do you have this time that you create on your calendar? Because you say reserve, but I say create. You created space for God. So these are all things that one can do. And so in the promised life, we're not just settling with knowing because that will be the equivalent of the Israelites settling with having some of the promised land and not all of it. In the promised life, I want everything God has for me. And so as I'm thinking about teaching, right, if I'm thinking about how he teaches me, he wants me to have more than just a knowledge of him. A working knowledge is not enough. So you may be at the knowledge level, and that's not a judgment. God's going to say, hey, I'm going to give you understanding. Just, just press in a little longer. And you might be at the analysis stage, and you can take some things apart. You're really deep. You're doing all that deconstruction. You better be able to put it back together. You might get lost in those broken up pieces. Right? God's going to help you with that, too. With all of it, if we don't have him, we can get pretty messed up. He is the teacher. The moment we try to be, we got a problem. So you all gave me a list of things. I'm going to quickly give you a list of some things that I think might help you along the way. I will reference the passages so as to stay disciplined on time. So media, stay with me. I'll actually say go to if I want you to go to, but otherwise we're just going to say stuff. And you'll read it this week because you've proven that you can handle homework. Pat yourself on the back real quick. Good job. So here are the seven things. The first one is reading. Reading. And, and how I break this one down is I look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. See, because I want to study to show myself approved. So I want to read the word. I want to examine it. And I want to make sure, because again, God is needing to be present in all of this, that I'm inviting him into my time of reading. Right? I'm not just looking at the words on the page. I don't want to try to seek comprehension without him. There's context to these passages that I might be missing because I'm reading one verse in isolation because it's the verse of the day. But God might say, go six verses before. Go ten verses later. Look at the spine of your Bible. It might say this is a related passage. It might talk about an Old Testament truth that impacts the New Testament thing you're reading. So I need him. Just as much as I might look, use a concordance, right? Some of us got the Strongs in our house, the eSword app. I need him. No amount of study tools will invalidate my need of him. Amen? So I read. Now, these are in alpha order. They're not necessarily in importance order. The next thing I want to do is I want to reflect. Now, we remember that yet last week when we talked about the Israelites, one of the things the ten spies failed to do was to reflect on the goodness of God. It's not that they were bad people, but they were old enough to know that manna fell from the sky. We talked about this. 
right? God literally doing divine Uber Eats, Postmates, manna coming from the sky. And they didn't recognize what it was, which is why it was called manna. Like, what is it? But what they didn't know was God was never going to let them go hungry. God was always going to meet their need. And some of them would have been around when the Red Sea was parted, but they forgot to reflect on that. And I jokingly said last week that if a sea were fighting a giant, guess who would win? The sea. Write that down in your notes. If the sea, no, that's what you don't write that. But we want to reflect. So can we hop really fast to 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 through 37? Because David was really good at reflecting. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. Yeah, yeah, we go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. How many of you chasing after bears and lions? Okay, I, I'm not. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard, this hurts personally, and struck him and killed him. Let's go on. Yes, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, that's some trash talk right there, will be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, sounds like reflection, right? He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. I don't know if Saul was convinced, but guess who was? David was convinced. See, because he dealt with prior issues and he saw how God handled his prior issues, both of which were not small things. You ever seen a bear up close? I'm a city boy. I can tell you I haven't. But some of y'all like camping. Some of y'all like going out in the woods and doing that type of stuff. I'm not going with you. I went on the men's retreat. That's as far as I'm going. Peeing outside. That's as far as I'm going. Right? But some of you like tenting like outside, right? No glamping for you. You want to see the woods. You want ants crawling on you. And so some of you might have seen a bear. Are they small or big? They're huge. And a bear that can snatch a lamb? Pretty big. And David said, hey, yo, <laughs> I was tasked with protecting these lambs. You're going to have to give that lamb back to me, dog. And then when the lion did it, Mufasa came around. We'll say Scar, because Mufasa's a good lion. When Scar came around snatching lambs, David grabbed it by its beard. I need that back. So when he referred to the Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine, and he reflected, he didn't think about his own muscle and his own might. When you keep reading, you see how he even takes off the armor that Saul offers him. He's not approaching this from a what do I have perspective as much as who is he in relation to me? And how has he shown himself faithful to me before? We must reflect. New problems, we still got data to deal with them. I've never seen a giant before, but I've seen a sea parted. I reflect. David reflected. Let's keep going, because I was told to hurry this up. So, rejoice. That's not an actual word, I know. But it's how it was explained to me. Rejoice is to rejoice myself, right? 
And so Sam actually gave us one, and I'm not going to read it because you can go on Facebook and see how she gave us Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, You're like, oh, I made it in the sermon. You did. You did. You did. We want to rejoy ourselves because sometimes we're a little empty on the whole joy thing. We need to refill ourselves with the joy of the Lord. Because crazy things will happen when we do. Can we go over to Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 30? So we can talk about somebody who rejoyed themselves. Now, for context, this is about Paul and Silas. And they are in prison. They have just been beaten in the verse before. Don't believe me? You read it for yourself. They just got tuned up by some thugs. And this is the next thing it says. But about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We must rejoice, family. Even in the midst of being bruised and beaten by life, we must fill ourselves with the joy of the Lord, knowing he will come through. I don't know how he'll come through, but he will come through because he's always come through. And that'll give me a song to sing. And so they're singing in the prison and they're singing in their chains. And all of a sudden, God says, wait a minute. Hmm. Hmm where two or more are gathered in my name. I did tell them that was the case, right? I did. And so the Lord's like, let me get up in that prison. It's not enough room for me. That's how I like to imagine it. That God strongmaned the situation like Michael Stump. And God stepped up in that prison and said, there's not enough room for me. And all of a sudden things were open. And they didn't just free themselves physically. They freed the jailer spiritually. What must I do to be saved? When you rejoice yourself around other people, you'll save some. How do I know this? Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Yeah, so when people hear you rejoicing despite there being no reason for joy, because that's what joy is, happiness being circumstantial, joy not making sense, gift from God, something I have even when it doesn't have any way for us to compute why I'm there, but I have it anyway because God is good. Don't have to explain it, just have it. When I do that, people's lives will be changed. You don't like how your coworkers talk? Rejoice around them. You don't like how your family's doing stuff? This goes to me. Not being happy with certain situations with my family, but not going to out them in a sermon because they're not here to defend themselves. But I don't like how certain things are going. So guess what? I'm going to rejoice myself around them. Because I know when God is acknowledged, things change. Next thing on the list. Kim, you said it. Or actually, no, not Kim. You didn't say this one. Sorry. We're going to get to the one you said in a moment. Remind. We won't read the passage because, again, I'm trying to stay with time. 
But remind is what we did this week. When we share our testimonies, we reminded ourselves because we had to type it. But we reminded those who were reading. So when's the last time you reminded yourself of the faithfulness of God? It's, it's the same as reflect, but we need to get seven on the list. So I stretched. I'll admit you might go reflect and remind are the same. Are you doing them? That's the bigger point. Are you doing them? Don't judge my list. Judge your inability to do it right now. Okay, so remind 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 15. Media, don't you go there. We don't got time. But write it in your notes. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. You can look at that on your own time. Kim, you mentioned the next one, repent. But I thought I was saved, and I thought he paid for all my sins. I thought he freed me from sin. We've talked about this before, but he freed you from your sin nature. You still screw up. And if you love him, you can acknowledge it. Because it says in this passage, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and also in 1 John 1, 9 through 10, how there's a refreshment that comes from our acknowledgement and our ridding ourselves of sin. Lowercase, S-I-N-S, right? Those things I still do, even though I don't have to. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. We still have this thing we're working out. Our spirit man's been saved, but our mind's still, we're working on that. God's still working on that. He's still transforming us. He's still renewing our mind. So as he's doing it, you're going to slip on occasion. It's going to happen. And when it does, acknowledge it because he is faithful and just to forgive. And he will refresh you when you acknowledge it. Stop hiding it with your fig leaves. Every time I hear fig leaves, I think about Lecrae, by the way. Wearing Louis Vuitton fig leaves. Make believing. Make believing. Because he's rap. Okay. Sorry. I like rap. The next one is we request new eyes. We request new eyes. And then after that, we rest. So I'm going to give you the passages for request new eyes. I'm going to give you the passages for rest. And then we're going to end with the request new eyes. Because I think there's a really cool story there. So for request new eyes... We want to go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. That's the one we're actually going to go to. So, Media, if you can pull that up for me, I'd love you very much. Uh, and then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. That also is where we request new eyes. We're just going to do the first passage for the sake of time. And then for rest, I want to look at 116, Psalm 116, verse 7. Or I can look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Both of those are solid. But we're going to end with 2 Kings because I like sharing like my Bible nerdiness. And there's certain passages that while all of it's good, all of it's chock full of nutrients, some of them like really stick out to me. I remember them. Even if I can't always remember the location, I remember how the story made me feel. I remember what that truth made me feel like. And so we're looking at the prophet Elisha, Elisha. The second one, if you're confused, Jah and then Shah. And, and so this is the second one, Elisha. He's the prophet. And his servant goes out early in the morning. And this is where we pick up. Or actually, for context. They sent assassins in an army to, to take Elisha. The Arameans were upset because every time they went to war with Israel, somehow, someway, the Israelites squirmed out of things, won things, out-strategized them. And so he thinks amongst himself, hey, there's some spy here. Somebody's telling the Israelites what we're about to do. And, and the people that were around the king go, no, 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 king of Aram, they got a prophet in Israel. 
They got somebody who's tapped into God and he is telling them what to do. That's why he's outmaneuvering us because they have the most high God on their side. And so he says, well, if I can capture this prophet, I can defeat the Israelites. So he sends an army after them. And in verse 15, we get to this. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling or was circling the city. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do you approach your problems this, this way? I'll admit sometimes I don't. I think we need to be encouraging ourselves, though, to approach our situations like this. That's such a cool line. If Clint Eastwood said it, you'd be more enthralled. You'd be like, oh, my gosh. When Liam Neeson says something like that, like, I will find you. And I will kill. Like when the action star says it, you're like hype. But the man of God was speaking the bars. Go back to verse 16 real fast. He says, so he answered, do not fear. Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Like that should make you like excited. Because he recognizes the power of God and the provision of God and the protection of God. And you can do it too. Verse 17 Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I'm here to say, they surround you too. God's protection is around you too. And in the promised life, you will face problems. Jesus said it. But we fear not because he has overcome the world. He has put an army around us. He has given us the ability to reflect on his prior faithfulness so that we might have understanding of his new faithfulness. He gives us the task of reminding one another. He says, if you repent, I'm not going to cast you aside. I'll refresh you. My list isn't exhaustive. There's some things you do that I don't. Might have to go get a prayer book. But all the same, in the promised life, it is an active pursuit of God. And so if you've been lethargic, I encourage you to arise. I encourage you to stand in your life of promise and to take after everything God has for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you that we get to have this life with you and that we're not solely responsible for unearthing truth about you by ourselves. But God, you have intended to reveal yourself to us. You've wanted us to know you since the garden. You have never given up that agenda. God, I thank you for revealing yourself to us so much so that you sent your son so that we would have a perfect picture so we would know exactly what you're like and that you gave your spirit so that we'd have a perfect picture and a person who could explain to us and remind us of truth. God, you've given us all we need for the promised life. May we live it. You've given us all we need for the promised life. May we fully enjoy it. You've given us all we need for the promised life. May we have all of it. And Lord, not give anyone else the worship you were due. We are so grateful, God, for your direction. It is life. 
It is life. It is sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb. It is good. Thank you, God, for your truth. Thank you for being truth. It is in your name we play. pray. We don't play. <laughs> it's in your name we pray. Jesus, amen. Amen.